0: I love Teacher Reed. He is so creative. Um, Also, a little bit of a rascal, stealing all those brown markers. (laughs) Well, we are in week nine of our sermon series, All to Jesus, Um, and we are going to jump right in. So if you can go ahead and stand with me, we're going to read the scripture together, and when we conclude, you can go ahead and sit down. All right. This is Romans 12, 9 through 21. Ready? Go. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. You can have a seat. So today we are going to be talking about contributing to the needs of the saints. This is the invitation for us. Okay, so this is the invitation for us. We have been talking about how do we get above the fray, all the issues of the days that we are dealing with that have caused such division and such turmoil and such unrest and lack of peace and cutting our families in half, all these things. How do we get above the issues? We take on postures, which are eternal. And this morning, the posture we're going to be talking about is to contribute to the needs of the saints. So... I have a little confession for you. This is going to drive me nuts. Sorry, guys. We're just going to do a little tuck it away there. All right. Here's my confession. I'm a clearance shopper and proud of it. (laughs) Anyone else? I heard of me too over there. Yeah, I got some hands Ooh, all across the room. We got some uh, frugality in the room. Got some good stewardship going on, right? Now, I have been known to stop in the middle of the aisle at Walmart and do a little Google search to make sure Amazon doesn't have what I want to buy a little bit cheaper, okay? Uh, Yeah, sometimes I'm just plain cheap. (laughs) That's my confession to you. (laughs) My kids say amen, right, Owen? (laughs) Should I tell them the Starbucks story? Okay, enough said. Okay, so let me tell you a little story from when I was a kid. My first pair of running shoes came off the clearance rack. They were a miracle. I had begun running cross-country in high school wearing some knockoff Payless Converse in 115-degree Sacramento heat. Let me tell you, I could feel the heat of the asphalt coming up through the soles of my shoes after about seven or eight miles out in the beating sun. And I remember my, my coach pulled my mom aside on that first day of practice, and he was like, she's not going to make it. She needs real shoes. And I remember overhearing that conversation And my heart was pounding because I knew my parents didn't have money for shoes for me. So my mom and I drove to the store. And outside of that store, we prayed that God would do a miracle. See, my parents, they were baby Christians. They had just started going to church. And part of their discipleship was to learn about godly stewardship and to honor God with their money. And so they began tithing probably just weeks after they darkened the, church of, the, the door of a church. And so she modeled for me in that moment to pray. She didn't even know what she was doing, but we prayed. And we walked out of that store with two mismatched Nike Pegasus running shoes. <laughs> I was 13 years old, and I felt like manna had rained down from heaven. Because God's miraculous provision had met my life in a real and tangible way. And through the years, through the leanest times of my life, God has provided miracle shoes for me, more than I can count. Well, I told you I can be cheap. (laughs) All these years later, I'm still running. And, you know, this last few weeks, I've noticed my, my running shoes are wearing out. And so I started looking for some deals. Guess what? I can't find any. I can't find any deals, so you know what I did? I waited, and I'm still waiting. Do you know why? Because all those years of miracle shoes have conditioned me to want to get the deal. I don't want to pay full price. You know what? I could. I have the money right now to go and you know make a little Amazon order, pay full price for the running shoes that I need, but there's something inside of me that is twisted. My testimony of God's provision has twisted into something ugly called stinginess. Called needing to get the most bang for my buck. How did this happen? This is where I just want to be like, the humanity. I think that's George Costanza for those of you who are Seinfeld lovers. Mm-hmm. I love a little George Costanza in my life. There's a twisting that's happened to me. We're just going to We're going to blow right by that. Um, <laughs> we are all twisted. I bet you didn't want to hear that this morning. We all need untwisting. It's why we come to church, right? to get some Jesus, because throughout the week, he starts fading into the background, and we need to come and have community, come have communion with him. Uh, we all know what it's like to be ungenerous with ourselves. Like I am right now. I'm repenting before you, confessing before you. I'm going to go home and order my running shoes. We all know the burning desire that exists deep inside of ourselves. The hope that we'll get something for nothing. Oh gosh, I have stories. I'm not going to tell the stories. Okay. We are all conditioned to want more than we can afford, to give less than we know we should, and then to feel really, really good about ourselves when we have a burst of generosity and it has its way and we're like, yeah, I'm, I'm that good. I'm amazing. We know what it's like to experience the stinginess and withholding of other people in our lives and what that does to our relationships. We know the inconvenience of people, of events, of, t- of needs, taking our time away. We know what it's like to feel the overpowering sense of lack in our lives, no matter how much we have. That doesn't go away, does it? We live with the constraints of limited resources. We all have checking account balances, right? I mean, there's only so much in there. And we know the limits of that. We're limited. Yet, we live in a culture that preaches the gospel of getting, of accumulating possessions, of spending extravagantly on ourselves while simultaneously preaching the gospel of early retirements. Do you see how that just doesn't work? It's not God's way. It's our culture's way. And all of this comes with us right here into this room, into our sacred community. Then we read something like, contribute to the needs of the saints. And our defenses go up, and we roll our eyes and kind of throw up our arms in our heads. This is happening in our heads. Because nobody wants to hear the pastor talk about money. The Bible talks a lot about money, Jesus talked a lot about money. Today, I'm gonna to talk about money. But thank God, his word goes so much deeper than that because God is all about our hearts. We serve a good and faithful God who wants to transform us from the inside out. But make no mistake, our checking account balances are 100% reflective of the heart change that God is doing, that we are allowing for him to do in our lives. Otherwise, Jesus would have never uttered the words, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. That's in the book of Matthew, if you want to look it up contribute to the needs of the saints. This is a seven-word phrase and let me tell you right now, it could be a 10-part sermon series. So I want to let you know right now, off the bat, the front end of this message that what I'm going to share with you is going to be incomplete. There's two there's more. This is just we're glancing off the subject. And we're going to do it by looking at three currencies this morning. The currency of humility, the currency of time, and the currency of money. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, you are a good and holy God, our everlasting Father. You are a Prince of Peace. You are mighty. You are a provider. You are Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. Lord, we put you back in your rightful place in that way this morning. Father, I pray for open hearts and open minds. I pray that we would be known as a church that is generous. Lord, that we would be those who would trust you beyond what we can provide for ourselves. Lord, that we would be those who would give in faith, that we would honor your word. Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are our father and that you have it all in your hand. Lord, help us to lean into that truth this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'll get started with the currency of humility. To preface, um, there are any number of things that Paul could have been referring to when it comes to contributing to the needs of the saints. In looking at the Greek, Paul seems to be referencing a partnership between the holy business— of the gathered body and the, and the gathered body of Christ. So the holy business of the church, worship, gathering, being together, and then all of us together because remember we've been talking about this passage out of Romans as not individual mandates, but mandates for us together as a community. Romans was not a letter written to an individual like 1st or 2nd Timothy or Titus. Those were written to church leaders. This was a a letter that was written to just everyone who was a part of the church. So this is for all of us. Paul seems to be creating an imperative for non-church leaders. Interesting. So why begin with the currency of humility? That that seems kind of strange. What we give, money, time, skills, talents, will depend entirely upon our lavish spending of the currency of humility. There is no other starting point for the Christ follower. Humility is the way of the cross. Humility is the seedbed for our transformation. Humility is the currency with which we purchase our freedom from greed, from stinginess, from withholding especially those of us who, who live in the United States. That's a hard truth for us, but it is the truth. Famed theologian and martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer declared this, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Come and die. A yes to Jesus is a yes, a yes to the death to self. To, in death to self, We are given a deposit of the humility that took Jesus to the cross to pay the penalty for my sin, for your sin. There is a death awaiting us all in our yes to Jesus. A death to our will, a death to our personal gain, to being defined only as an individual or to being perceived as being the best Death to superficial measures of greatness, looks, talent, fame. All of this becomes loss under the the magnificent power of the humility of Christ. Our yes to Jesus is a death to self. We cannot contribute to the needs of the saints without first building a stockpile of the currency of humility. Humility is... The platform from which we give or even believe that we have something to give. Humility pushes us to risk, to try new things, and then to try again if it doesn't go well. Humility celebrates the talents and the skills of others above our own. Humility invites others to cut in line. Humility dares us to do things we don't like doing. Humility affords us the grace to make mistakes and then get back up on the horse. Our contributions to the body of Christ come from a stockpile of humility. Humility is the currency that supplies us with the faith to freely and generously give our limited resources. As we seek to contribute to the needs of the saints. We cannot forsake this very important piece of our discipleship. All right, we're going to talk about the currency of time. I've got a quote that I want to start with. Here it is. It's from Calvin and Hobbes. There is never enough time to do all the nothing you want. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's hilarious. Yet it is fitting and actually almost just a little bit terrifying. Because our culture has turned doing nothing into a virtue. Binge watching, right? Video games, rampant in our culture. I hate that binge watching was coined. Man, that's a scary thought. When I was a kid, okay, I won't go there. <sighs> a friend of mine who I won't name years ago used to talk about his Netflix watching and, and curating his viewership was like some kind of strenuous activity. No. No. Time is a precious commodity that we all squander. It's, it's a first world problem. And we each have a fixed amount of time in the day to give, to use, or to throw away. When Paul says contribute to the needs of the saints, he is urging us to give this limited resource away to the body of Christ. This is an important and costly piece of our discipleship as followers of Jesus. But it will pay dividends. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 12. This is uh, verses 10 through 12. For God is not unjust. He will not forget how hard you have worked for him and how you have listened. Shown your love to him by caring for other believers. Our great desire is that you will keep on loving others as long as life lasts in order to make certain that what you hope for will come true. Then you will not become spiritually dull and indifferent. Spiritually dull and indifferent. There's a couple takeaways from this. One, the time that I use to contribute to the needs of the saints is a direct reflection of my love for Jesus. That that might sound manipulative to some of you. but, But let's remember Peter. Peter who betrayed Jesus. And when Jesus was reinstating him to his calling, Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And again, he said to Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Our love for one another, our care for one another, our generosity toward one another is a direct reflection of our love for Jesus. The second takeaway is this. The time that I use to contribute to the needs of the saints is like preventative medicine. I am all about that axiom. An ounce of, of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Love it. This is, this is, you know, we live in a stream of spiritual dullness and indifference. We were born into it. That's just, that's the water we swim in every day. We come up, we gasp for air. That's called reading the Bible, praying, engaging with church, engaging with one another. We come up for air and then we go back down into it and it sweeps us away. But you know what? Paul is giving an exit strategy here. He's saying, get out of the water by caring for people. Apathy is not the way of Jesus. Jesus is always calling us up and out. And he uses his church to captivate our attention, to awaken us to our spiritual needs, and to remind us that there is a new life that he wants us to live in. And it exists right here in community spiritual dullness and indifference are our default. Now, I've heard this said many times. Isaac and I, we've been in ministry for a couple of decades now. We've been senior pastoring for 10 years plus, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. I love Jesus. I just don't like his church. You cannot love Jesus apart from his church. You cannot love Jesus and be indifferent to his church. You cannot love Jesus and despise his church. No, no. I mean, imagine this. Imagine for a second that somebody was to come up to me and say, "Danya, you know, I really like you. I just can't stand your husband. Would I respond? Oh, no worries. It's fine. Love you. No. Of course I wouldn't. Because their unlove of my husband would be an affront to their love of me. You can't have one of us without the other. We're married. The spirit of Christ is joined with his bride, which is the church. And we are being called to use the currency of our time to care for her. All right. We've talked about the currency of humility currency of time. Now it's time for the currency of money, money, money. Money. Oh, good job. (laughs) I promised at the beginning, and I'm going to make good on that promise now, we are going to talk a little bit about money. But first, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, I think I was about 10 years old. I remember driving down the street uh, in our car. Um, My family had just started going to church. God was new to me. I remember it was dark out, it was cold. I remember sitting in that seat and praying that God would put a gold brick into my hands. Magically. It's a fleeting memory, but it wasn't long after that that my family moved out of our home and into a tiny apartment. I must have had some idea in my little 10-year-old mind that God could miraculously fix my parents' financial problems, that God could do anything so that I wouldn't have to move. Turns out God had other plans. Instead, he asked my parents to take a long road of paying off thousands and thousands of dollars of credit card debt. Mind you, they were blue-collar workers. He asked them to take the long road of learning to tithe to our church and to cultivate habits of godly stewardship, which means living on a budget and sticking to it. And let me tell you right now, that budget was slim. Little did I know that watching them do this would deposit into my young life habits of tithing and stewardship that are with me to this day. I had wanted a shortcut But God is not a God of shortcuts. Read the Bible. I mean, ask Abraham. That poor guy was yanked out of his home, and he just followed God and didn't know when or what was going to happen after that, but he trusted him. God is also not a God of manipulation or coercion, but he is a God of truth. He's a God of expectation and a God of promise. Listen to what these scriptures have to say about money. Our God of expectation in Leviticus 19:9 9 through10, "When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields and do not pick up what the harvesters drop, leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you." What does that mean? Basically, don't use all your money for you. Don't be greedy. Don't take everything for yourself. God laid out this beautiful expectation of giving tangibly to our community, especially to those who are less fortunate. All right, here's a promise. Luke 6:28. Give and it will be given to you. We could stop there. That, that's enough, right? If I give and God will give back to me, amazing. But no, he takes it further. He says, a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be poured into your lap. I kind of picture like when you're baking and you're measuring out brown sugar and you push it down to make sure you get that full cup of sugar. God's like, I'm going to push that down and give you more For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. The simplicity of this should astound us. So often we rob ourselves of the generosity of God because we are too afraid or too miserly to give big. All right, expectation number two. 2 Corinthians 9, 7. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Now I want to preface that, that Paul in this verse was talking about a very specific offering. You must each decide how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. So this is a maturity thing, isn't it? It's kind of like when I ask my kiddo to empty the dishwasher. And they're like, "Ah, I don't want to right now. You know when the words start curving up, there's attitude, you know? I don't want to give. And you know what? God is not going to coerce you or manipulate you into it. But he will call you to it. Because he's calling us to maturity. The question is, are we going to enter into maturity? Or will we just not? When it comes to spending our currency of money. All right, promise number two, Malachi 3, 9 through 10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, and we'll talk about what a tithe is in a minute, so there will be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. The Hebrew word for tithe means tenth. Tithe is to give 10%, the first fruits of your income. And the promise is that when we give our first fruits to care for his house, that God will bless us. All right, our final expectation. For it's like I said, it's incomplete, but for today. Genesis 4, 3 through 5. Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift. The best portions of his firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. Listen, Cain Cain gave some. Cain gave the crumbs. Cain gave gave the leftovers. Cain Cain was not um, selective in how he gave to God. He just gave some. Abel gave the best. Abel gave his firsts. The Bible talks all about this. Scripture is replete with references to God wanting our first and God wanting our best. He does not want our leftovers. If if Jesus were to come to my house for dinner, you think I'm going to pull out a box of weak old mashed potatoes from my fridge and be like, I can heat this up in the microwave for you, Jesus? (laughs) No. No, I am going to make bouffe bourguignon. It takes four hours to make. You have to chop up beef and, and sear each piece on each side. You have to make a roux. You have to, you know, saute mushrooms and peel carrots and chop. And it's a lot of work. And usually by the time I'm done making it, my face is all red and splotchy and I'm sweating. It's not a pretty picture, let me tell you. That's what I'm going to make for Jesus. I want to give him my best all right our last promise proverbs 3 9 through 10 honor the lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your crops then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine so this is similar to malachi 3 there is a promise of blessing in return for how we choose to give it is really as simple as that and I am 30 years. I am 30 years of a walking testimony of how God absolutely does not leave us hanging in this. Have there been lean times? Mm hmm. Have there been times where all my wants were just on the back burner? Absolutely. But God has never, ever let a need go by, He is a God of provision. We could make this list much longer when it comes to pulling from Scripture. But what we should notice is the consistent arc of the Scriptures when it comes to talking about money, talking about giving and honoring God with our money, from the history books to the law books to the poetry books, the prophets, the gospels, the epistles, which are the letters God cares about money. He has expectations for how we use our money, and he promises us blessing as we follow his lead in using it. Now, if we were to boil down Romans 13 to just some kind of financial mandate, we would be missing the heartbeat behind it. But if we remove the financial piece because we're too uncomfortable to talk about what's real, then we will be denying a vital piece of our discipleship. God never provides for his people in a theoretical or non-tangible sense. He is a God of manna. His faithfulness comes in physical form. His faithfulness comes in spiritual form. And we are to follow him in those ways as we contribute to the needs of the saints. When well, we've talked about three currencies this morning, I'm going to have you repeat after me because I'm a teacher. Humility. Humility. Time. Time. Money. I love it. You guys are good. So I have a few invitations for us this week as we choose a path toward maturity and decide how we will take next steps in contributing to the needs of the saints. The first one is this. Serve courageously and sacrificially. There are many opportunities to get involved here, um, but here's my question for you. Have you allowed fear to invade your heart and keep you from saying yes? Number two, assess your time. So this is where you get to reflect on your life. They say that in any given church, 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. And let me tell you, I, I, I think this rings true. Because we have limited time, we often say, have to, we have to say no to good things in order to say yes to better things. So... Are you serving here at New Hope? This is kind of a family question. If you are new with us this morning, this question is something that you can ask yourself down the line as you decide to be committed to our body or not. But for those of you who come week in and week out and you say, this is my church home, are you serving? If you, if you aren't, we have opportunities. You can sign up at, at, on our app or at inewhope.org. Just click on the serve button. If there's a, in that list, there's nothing that you are connecting with. Just click something and we'll call you. We'll help you. We want people to be helped. We want to come alongside, help you find your place. Number three, become a tither. Tithe equals 10%. So if you made 100 bucks mowing a lawn on Saturday, you kiddos out there, 10 of that goes to Jesus simple as that you just cut a zero off the end that's how I learned it when I was a kid look when I I hear some snickering back there when I was when I was first going to church I had a three dollar allowance and every week I brought my three dimes to church changed my life three dimes will change your life well I'm sure you make more than three (laughs) dollars giving our first fruits to God by tithing to the church is a holy act of faith and trust financial contributions are sacrosanct. Stop making excuses and walk the road to maturity. Number four, participate with our Christmas giving. So Cherise and James talked a little bit about this. Let me just outline very briefly for you what we are doing this Christmas season. Christmas is seriously my favorite time of year. I am doing everything in my power not to just put up a tree right now. It's coming, guys. Are we excited for Christmas? Yes, we're going to have some fun. We're going to have a decorating party. We're going to have kids parties and youth party and all kinds of stuff. We're going to sing carols and eat way too much food. But in the middle of all of that, we're going to give. And this wall represents what we're going to give. Our first tree here, nearest to me, is for Cesar Chavez Elementary. We have an opportunity to grab one of those ornament tags and buy a gift for a kiddo who may or may not be getting a Christmas gift this year and showing the love of Jesus in a tangible way. All the instructions are on that table there. You can sign out your ornament on the clipboard so we know who has which ornament. That is going to be such an amazing blessing to that school. They, they have so much need at that school, you guys, seriously. Ruben, our sports director, has been uh, connecting with them, and the needs are great. This is a drop in the bucket, but we want to be a part of being part of the solution for that school. Uh, The middle area there is, that sign says coats. So we are collecting coats for our houseless population here in Salem. They will be distributed through this amazing organization called uh, Church in the Park. So what you get to do is you can bring your uh, gently used or new coats, and you can deposit them right there on on the stage, and we're going to watch that pile grow. It's going to get ugly over there, okay? I don't care. A little bit of ugly is going to go a long way toward helping our houseless community. All right. The final tree is our Sheo tree. So for those of you who don't know, our church has a partnership with a village in Sheo, Guatemala. We have many children who are already sponsored through our body here. And we are going to sponsor 20 more kids by the grace of God. So here is my urging to you. There, I have been to Sheo they don't have much and they're not asking for much and we have so much that we get to go and give this is a worthy worthy thing to do so after church go find Isaac he'll be in the corner over there and he's going to help uh, you get a packet and sponsor a kiddo so that's our Christmas giving Number five, Hovitt family in the front row. Chuckling your little heads off down there. Do you want this to wrap up? I could talk longer. I told you this is a drop in the bucket. Um, okay, this, this is the serious one. Now, as I was um, preparing this week, I just, I had the sense that I was supposed to invite people to accept Jesus as Lord this morning. So here's what I'd like you to do. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Um, There may be some in this room who have not yet made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you are experiencing a conviction of sin in your life, sin is just doing what you know you shouldn't do or not doing what you know you should do. Jesus paid the price. He died a criminal's death on the cross, even though he lived the perfect life here on earth. He was raised from the dead on the third day, conquering sin, death, hell, and the grave. God loves you, and he has made a way for you to be right with him and to walk in the light of his truth and life. If you would like to accept Jesus... As your savior this morning, would you please put your hand up for me? I want to make it, I want to make it eye contact with you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Thank you, Traces. Mm-hmm. I see your hand, sweetie, in the back. I see your hand too, Girlies. My sweet Girlies back there. Thank you, Lord. All right, let's pray together. We're all going to just do this in solidarity with those who have taken this next step of faith and courage. Let's repeat after me. Father God, you are holy and good. I could never hope to be good on my own. I need you. Cleanse me from my sin. I confess Jesus as Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. I place my faith, I place my hope, I place my trust in Jesus. Amen. (laughs) We had some kids raise their hands. (laughs) kiddos if you would just come find me in the lobby after church I sure would love to give you a hug and tell you how much Jesus loves you so if you raised your hand I'll be out there you can come come give me a squeeze I'll get I'll squeeze you back all right to wrap up imagine with me now if we were a church where the 80 20 rule was put to shame it was a 20 80 rule where each of us were engaged extravagantly in spending our currency on one another, to engage with the mission of helping people find and follow Jesus, would be pretty amazing. Um, we're going to go ahead and take communion in just a moment. Um, before we do, let's let's say this congregational prayer together. Grant us, O Lord, we pray the Spirit to think and do always those things that are right, that we who can do no good thing apart from you may by you be enabled to live according to your will through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Um, We're going to speak a blessing over you as you come to receive your elements here in the front. Isaac will be here. I'll be over here. May you give and receive with humility.